Women and minorities made history in 2018, from the first Muslim woman elected to Congress to the first openly gay man to win a governor's race. It was a big year of firsts. Politics aside, we want to know, with so much forward momentum, what comes next? Some companies are embracing progress, but diversity and inclusion needs to be about more than just good PR. So today on Think Tank of Three, a special guest to talk about diversity and inclusion, successes, misses, and how we can all work to get it right. You've made it this far in your career, but is something holding you back from getting to the top? We're ditching the culture of competitiveness. We're women working together to help other women. We are Think Tank of Three. I'm Audrea, your business development coach. I'm Julie, your digital marketing strategist. And I'm Catherine, your media and public speaking expert. Three women from different backgrounds coming together to empower, support, and encourage other women professionally and personally. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three. I'm Julie Holton here with my co-host, Audrea Fink, and today guest Kim Halfley joins us. Kim is the Director of Marketing and Recruiting at Foster Swift Collins and Smith, where she manages marketing strategy for more than 100 attorneys in six offices. Prior to joining Foster Swift, Kim worked as the VP of Marketing at Two Men in a Truck and as a Director of Marketing at Michigan State University's College of Law. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. This is Audrea here. Kim, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. From one law firm business development manager to another, all three of us have been part of the Legal Marketing Association. And so I thought it was fun, the connection that you two had, and wanted to maybe bring up this side note that there was once some competitive history between you and Julie. Uh, yes, uh, it's, it's a good story. Um, before going to MSU College of Law, I worked at an, uh, another Lansing-based law firm, uh, Frazier de Vilcock, and um, so after I departed, I still maintained many relationships. I still talk to somebody there at least once a week, and uh, my former boss uh, called and said, hey, we have this new marketing director. Can you go to lunch? I said, sure. And so um, from there, um, we became friends and uh, LMA conference buddies, and uh, we continue to have a, and now, now we can get rid of the frenemies and just be friends. <laughs> so we used to joke that Kim and I were frenemies from the, mo the movie Mean Girls, if you've seen the movie Mean Girls, but really, Kim has one of the most brilliant minds in marketing. Big ideas, more outside of the box than in, um, and when it comes to diversity and inclusion programs, Kim has a definite edge. So Kim, I'm going to dive right in. Um, and part of why this topic came up right now is because in the midterm elections in 2018, we saw one of the most diverse ballots in the history of voting. I pulled some numbers. These are not all from memory. The New York Times profiled some candidates who ran for House, Senate, and governor seats. And here's some, some quick stats. 272 of the 964 candidates were women. 216 were Black, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, or multi multiracial. 26 identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. So this was a huge shift for minorities and a pretty big win, and, but it wasn't just a political movement. So Kim, can you give us, as we start talking about this, maybe the definition of diversity inclusion? So as we go through the podcast, we kind of know where you're coming from. Absolutely. Um, for us, for Foster Swift, we really focus, it's a very broad definition. So, um, and 
I'm going to just kind of go and read our mission statement because I think that kind of covers it all for us. The mission of Foster Swift's Diversity Committee is to cultivate an environment where individuals of diverse race, color, ethnicity, culture, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, religion, nationality, age, height, weight, disability, and marital and parental status may succeed professionally and personally. So we, we try to keep it really broad. So essentially awesome. everything that makes us unique or different is on that list. It is. Um, we, we sometimes joke, I think it even goes down to, you know, um, including our extended families, you know, of our friends and, and, and our four-legged furry friends. We are all about the four-legged furry friends here. So can you talk a little bit about some of the trends you saw maybe in the political space and how those trends are maybe gaining momentum as a social movement in the corporate world? I, yeah, I think what's, what was exciting about this election was that people were so much more open. And I think that really is the first step. And I think the other thing that I would hope from the openness is we start to see people listening more. I think it's great that we have the openness, but key to successful diversity and inclusion programs is really about listening and when you're unsure, asking questions, follow up, um, and, and developing a level of respect for whomever you're communicating with. And, and I think um, it's great that we have the openness, um, you, you know, and we see it on Facebook all the time. Well, I'm unfriending you because you said this and I don't agree with that and just all the drama. And I think if for us to have maximum advantage of these huge gains we had in this election cycle. We need people to stop. We need people to listen, to ask questions, and not just immediately respond, but to think about it and, and, um, and not be judgmental. I think, you know, um, one of the things that's so important as we, as we look going forward with diversity, and, and if we look at the four core business competencies, marketing, HR, technology, and accounting, is that things go so quickly. Accounting is still pretty much the same thing. It goes uh, very routine. Month, week, did you pay your bill? Did you didn't pay your bill? The other disciplines are, have changed so much. The cycle time. You know, you can apply for a job 24-7. HR doesn't think twice about somebody responding in the middle of the night. You look at technology with how quickly um, we all want things. Well, you just press a button, right? Well, it's really not that simple. You go to marketing. Well, gee, you should be able to tell me everything about that person because, you know, there's all these now uh, cookies and bites and we can go and see what time they looked at it and how long they stayed. And, and so we all want to make that immediate response. And I think the most important thing as we look at the political side as we look at our own businesses is take a moment and think think about what does this mean what are the opportunities who who should be included if we include somebody does it exclude somebody else and if so is there a way to address that so that it's people understand so that it's non-offensive so I really think um, for diversity to be successful in any realm, uh, there's really two important components, and that is having an open mind and communication. And sometimes the best thing we can do to communicate is to not communicate anything right then, but to think about it and then respond. Such a great point, Kim. When we were talking earlier, we talked about this sense of paralysis that can sometimes happen within an organization 
and how that paralysis happens when you don't know how to respond or how to be inclusive or maybe what the right thing is to say. So when you're dealing with your attorneys at your firm or even um, other community groups that you're a part of, what are some ways that we can be more inclusive and get over that paralysis? What are those first steps? You know, um, it's interesting. And I've asked a lot of people this because, uh, you know, we're all looking for that silver bullet and that one right answer, right? Guess what? There's not one for this either. Um, <clears throat> but what there is, is being authentic and honest and showing care. And so when you have that situation is saying, I don't know how to respond to that legitimate response, or I want to make sure my goal here is to be inclusive and to make sure we recognize the diverse categories. And I'm not sure what are your thoughts? You know, yes, it's, it's turning it back around. What are your expectations? Because so many times, I think even when companies, companies always have the best intentions. Nobody starts a diversity program without wanting best intentions. It takes time. It takes money. It takes resources. Um, and so you want to have something that's going to be very worthwhile. And so that happens, but sometimes you have a lot of fingers in the pot. There's things that you didn't think about. Um, it's a broad topic. No one's perfect. And so, you know, again, it goes back to those having an open mind, um, you know, listening and, and also being respectful. And I think for those, um, we've had some people in our organization, we're a law firm. And so sometimes there's support staff that maybe do not feel included in things and they feel that they should. And um, we've done this. I think a pretty good job of giving them a few tools to say, going to either their attorney or to their supervisor saying, you know, on this particular project, I really think there'd be value if I was included in this is why, or gee, in previous projects, I've been included. I'm not. Is there a particular reason, you know, in putting it in a way where you're asking for, for some feedback. And, and I think that that's so much of it. It's not done in an angry tone. It's not done in, you know, hey, why wasn't I done that? Or why wasn't I involved? It's just a very honest. And I think that really helps. I think that's such a key point. And I want to sort of ruminate on the little, this idea of if you show up with the goal being, we want to be inclusive. And then two, you are honest and open and saying like, I don't know what the answer is here. Let's work on this together. You're going to get so much further than saying, um, you know, this is the thing we're going to do regardless of whether or not it actually serves the community we're trying to include. So I love that idea of really being open and honest and asking. What are maybe some things that we can do in our day-to-day -day working in our companies to help bolster diversity and inclusion programs that are already in place? I think the number one thing that we can do and that we get too busy to do is to ask um, the members in our organizations that are in one of the diverse categories, how are things going? How are we doing? You know? Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we all get a lot of survey monkeys and they have a lot of value sometimes. But I also think that it really helps to talk to people one-on-one -on -one, um, in a safe environment. And I also think it's important. I think the other thing too, that's really important. And um, we did some, uh, we participated in a local training program that did just a great job. And that was creating uh, a safe space 
for employees so that they know there are a number of safe spaces or safe people that they can go talk to. And I think that that's also really important. Um, you know, sometimes it is very candidly just a, a venting session, and sometimes that's okay. But sometimes there's very legitimate complaints, and then you can strategize, okay, I realize that maybe because of this you, you don't want to come forward, but let's talk about some ways that we can communicate what the problem is so that we can address it. Because the other thing that's out there is we can't address problems that we don't know about. One thing that I want to talk about along those lines is you talk about creating these safe spaces with the Me Too movement and not focusing specifically on rape per se, but focusing on the aspect of the movement where we saw a lot of women come forward and talking about this culture that we live in where it has become acceptable to talk to women in a certain way and to behave um, in a way that's that's unacceptable. So we, we heard a lot of stories and continue to hear stories of women who have been subjected to inappropriate touching, inappropriate language, jokes, you know, things. If you, if you really boil it down to things that just make women uncomfortable on, on the low end, and of course on, on the other end of the spectrum, things that are, that are criminal and, and wrong. Focusing kind of on that lower end, I was um, in an environment when this movement was gaining some momentum where I was in some meetings, um, community meetings, mm -hmm. community-based meetings, where I found both men and women joking about this and saying, oh, I can't, I can't, I have to be careful what I say to you now because, you know, I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. And I found myself thinking, wow, is it also part of our culture to then make light of or make fun of something that's really serious? Is that our way as humans of um, feeling better about it? But I also found that some of these men and women were making light of it and in a way that just made people around them very uncomfortable. And so I know I'm kind of getting into a whole other topic here, but I think when it comes to gender and being inclusive of genders, what are some things that we can do when we're in an environment like that to, I mean, of course, I kind of chose my battle and my battle was to not say anything. And I walked away and, and joined a different, you know, different conversation. But I think some of these, when we talk about changing the culture and the environment we're in, how do we start to address some of these conversations head on? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've wondered that, and, and in, in one instance, I got up a little bit of nerve because it was people I've known for a really long time, so I know they still love me afterwards. <laughs> but I asked, I said, so in the case, I understand, you know, the, why you're making light, but there's so many valid cases here, and it is. It is a shame when there is somebody who either is mentally ill or who takes advantage of the system and, and cries wolf. We, we all know that. But, but what, what are we supposed to do? And I think sometimes challenging them, and so that gets you to an honest conversation. But I do think it has to be with people that you know really well. And, and these are people that I've known for decades. And like I said, um, you know, but it was interesting because we did have an interesting conversation after that, you know, that we probably wouldn't have had. But again, I think Julie's right. Sometimes you have to pick your battles. Well, and I think it also depends on how you go into the conversation, right? If we go back to this idea of like Facebook, someone says something on Facebook and now you can't be friends anymore. And like that, that's no longer dialogue, right? Like there are people, I think, you know, Julie, to your point, people may mock things when they're a little uncomfortable with them. But I think you can have that conversation if you walk in assuming best intent, right? 
you're walking in saying, I disagree with this and I'd love to talk to you about it in a really respectful way. I'd like to hear why you're mocking this, or I'd like to hear why you think what you think. Maybe don't start with, I'd like to hear why you're mocking this, but <laughs> um, you know, I'd like to, I'd love to talk to you about it. And I think that's one of the things we're missing today in our social communities and a lot of times in our everyday communities is that ability to say, you know what, I don't agree with you or I don't like what you said. And I'd like to respectfully and, and mutually discuss this so that we understand where we're coming from. And I'd like to assume that you're a good person and you just said something I don't like, and we can figure out what that means. Cause I think we are all going to disagree on things from time to time. We're all going to think, you know, certain things are funny, certain things aren't. Everyone has different senses of humor. The Me Too movement has affected different people in very different ways. So some people it is extreme, some people it's not. But we just, we miss that. Can we talk about this piece? That's so important. And I think the other thing too is, you know, um, I think one of the most important things, you know, there's so many things to do with diversity, but I think one of the most beneficial things any organization can do if they're going to invest in training is don't focus on specific diversity training, but focus on active listening training. Mm, yes. You will get so, there's so much benefit to be gained from that. And I think once you, people start actually listening, their emotional intelligence goes up and there's just so many benefits across the organization. Right. I think a lot of people, when they hear diversity and inclusion, feel shame, right? Oh, well, maybe I wasn't as inclusive or, I, or my organization needs this because we don't do it versus, versus just recognizing that it's a need. There's no need to be defensive about it. There's no need to feel shameful about it. It's just a matter of this is where you're at. Let's talk about generational differences because I find this really fascinating. Nearly two-thirds of millennials take interest in an organization's corporate social responsibility. In other words, they believe that companies have a moral obligation to give back and to create an inclusive environment. And in the marketing space, we're seeing this come out in big ways where CEOs of major companies are actually personally speaking up on issues that we would otherwise consider to be social issues. And we get an overwhelming response back from the public that they really like this, that they think that there needs to be that sense of that corporate responsibility. So, and I don't think it's just millennials. The stats talk about millennials, but I think that this is generally across the board. So when we're talking about this inclusive environment, Kim, what trends are you seeing as companies have this shift into this corporate social responsibility? Um, I think the great opportunity corporate social responsibility programs offer is an opportunity for people to work together who they who might not normally work together and my current employers were launched we tested several corporate social responsibility platforms this year and we're launching our, our first formal program in 2018 but i think the one thing that we we saw was people's willingness to talk and listen in an environment that wasn't so work generated. And they found common elements. They found things that they both believed in, that they could work towards, that they believed in. And so um, I think one of the great advantages of these programs is you get people talking. And, you know, there's that old adage, you know, you shouldn't judge anybody until you walk a mile in their shoes. And they're getting to walk in shoes and they're helping people along the way and they're seeing what those people have to walk in and go, boy, 
I'm fortunate. I think it, 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 there's two things. One, there's an appreciation for their own situation. And two, there is a willingness to realize that, gee, working together, we can make a difference. And I think those are two great outcomes of these programs. Do you think there's ever any problematic backlash or maybe there's a partnership for social um, social responsibility that's not done well that has a backlash? Um, I think, yeah, when people overcommit and then you can't deliver the goods to an organization, I think that happens. And I think, and that's one of those things where it's horrible. It's well-meaning. Um, you know, somebody who was a coordinator dropped the ball on something or had their own personal situation or there was a miscommunication. Um, you know, and that's the other thing. A lot of times when working on these programs and, and we had one that uh, we were able to catch, but there was just a misunderstanding. You know, there's miscommunications. You're dealing with people who aren't used to dealing with, you know, corporate departments who, who want to help them. And, and so there's just some miscommunication. So I think the thing when they're doing any of these programs is one, making sure, um, that everybody understands the details, that you understand the goals, keeping it really simple. I, I think a lot of times in the beginning, everybody has these grand visions and they are, they're great. And, and you will get there eventually, but it's kind of like first grade, you know, you, you start reading first grade books. You don't start reading the whole Harry Potter series. You had me at Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't everybody. <laughs> If a company was going to start an inclusion and diversity program, what would the three keys to starting it be? So that if our listeners wanted to start up right now or build on a program that's already in place, where do they begin? What are the top three things to know? First, you have to have some commitment from the top so that you can go forward. There has to be some buy-in because you're going to need, you know, you're going to need money and you're going to need human capital. So you need, you need to get that buy-in. And, and by and large, that's, that's really pretty easy to do. Um, the second thing is that you have to realize, and I'm, I can't limit it to three. Okay. I, I'm going to apologize okay. right now. That's, that, go for it. Three. Um, and, the, and the other thing is you have to realize that there isn't a silver bullet. Diversity and inclusion or inclusion and diversity. I, I prefer inclusion and diversity, but I, you know, because you have to include people first. Um, and, and that is that, um, you have to realize that there is no perfect journey and based on where your organization is and based on all the individuals that are in your organization, it's going to be unique to you. So even though I am guilty of this, Oh, I want to do this new program. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to find a really good template and then I'm going to go from there. Right. <laughs> that is the absolute worst thing to do. You can't do that with diversity and inclusion or inclusion and diversity. You have to go, okay, let's think about this. What is a low-hanging fruit? Because the other thing, because this can be a really tough project, is you need to pick a project or something that you can start small and have a, an immediate success. Because once you have that success, then the top manager goes, well, gee, that wasn't so bad. I think we can do that. And then you need to celebrate that success. Even if it's small, saying, hey, we're just starting and we have this inclusion and diversity program and we decided that we were going to do this active listening training and guess what we did it and guess what because of this we learned about this situation and we were able to deal with it and this was the result which had either this person being successful or making a client successful or making a community organization successful and then people are like wow that wasn't so bad what else can we do but i really think that that's 
the key is, um, and I think the other thing too that's important is really having an open mind. Um, diversity and inclusion is such a broad topic. Um, it may, be, and you, you can start small. And, and and I think when people get going, the first thing they do is they start looking at all these websites and go, "Oh my gosh, we are so far behind. How are we ever going to catch up? Oh my gosh!" And I feel overwhelmed. So then two things happen: they either go, okay, we're not doing anything, which is horrible, or just as bad in some cases, they go and try and do 20 things all at once and they aren't successful at any of them. They're like, well, this doesn't work. So you really have to start small. You have to realize that you're, you're unique. It's going to be unique to you and be looking for those opportunities that will be meaningful to your organization. Kim, I know you're working in a law firm we have listeners from a variety of other industries and no matter what industry you're in, we're seeing inclusion and diversity really, really in a strong way creeping in into this competitive environment. And so when it comes to recruiting, which are also a major part of at your firm, Kim, how does diversity and inclusion play a role in your recruitment of new attorneys? Um, it's tough. Uh, we are a mid-sized law firm. And so a lot of times, um, diverse candidates have many options and many times um, those options are higher paying, uh, maybe in more lucrative geographic locations. And so sometimes we lose out. Um, it's unfortunate, but we do. But what we really do try to do is when we have um, diverse candidates is really um, talk to them about our culture, um, we have a great retention rate of attorneys, paralegals, and support staff. So what are they looking for in a culture? We work really hard to talk to them about what's important to them. What's important to them? What does success look like for them? Um, and, you know, it depends. Sometimes for some of these individuals, they may be in a spot where because of student loans and everything else, they're coming right out of, you know, seven years of college. Like, you know, you guys are really... I'm really interested in you, but hey, I really need to get these loans paid off. And so I have to take this other other option to which we always tell them, please stay in touch. You know, if things don't work out, if you want to relocate back to the Midwest, if you decide that, you know, we want to stay in touch. And, and we do do that and we do a good job of that. Um, I think the other thing that, that's so important is um, we look at alternative ways to recruit people. Um, and, and that has been, uh, we've, we've done a couple different things this year and that's been a little more successful. Can you talk a little bit about what those alternative ways of recruitment are? Sure. Um, we did a couple different things this year. Um, one is for all those law schools that we recruit at and for the top 50 law schools, um, we had my intern go in and find the contacts for all the affinity bar associations. And we reached out to all of those individuals and let them know we would welcome them to, you know, participate in our summer associate OCI program. And um, I believe, you know, it's, it's small. Uh, we sent out, I believe, well over 300 emails, and we had 11 inquiries. However, one of those inquiries will be a 2019 summer associate, and he's from the University of Georgia, and that's not a place we'd be. But, you know, University of Georgia was a great law school for him. It was a, you know, it's a top 20 law, top 25 law school. He's from Michigan. Um, but also the challenges of being at a school out of state is, hey, where do I go for that? 
you know, internship because I don't want to live in Georgia forever. I want to come back. So the other thing we do is we really try to find um, people who are top candidates who um, maybe have Michigan connections and who want to come back to Michigan. One other thing that we did too this year, um, and I say that because you guys are obviously using technology, and that is um, we did some really creative videos that we made available on our website and that we sent to all the schools that we did recruiting that really talked about our culture. And it wasn't just, um, we had a couple that certainly uh, would fall under the inclusion and diversity, diversity category, but we really talked, it was a heartfelt, this is a very authentic, this is the Foster Swift family, this is our culture. Um, you know, there, it was just about us. And, and we received really favorable comments about that from the candidates. Um, and we're really impressed with the uh, number of um, views that those websites had or those videos had. So would we look at recruitment for diversity outside of the law firm, right? Like I know right now construction is really booming. They have a serious workforce shortage and they're looking for diversity. Are there hiring tactics that they can use that would increase their inclusion and diversity? Or maybe the maritime field or the tech field what are some, some recruiting best practices for increasing inclusion and diversity? That's a great question. I'm not sure I'm qualified to speak at that outside of the, the legal arena. But, but uh, I would say my favorite uh, quote from one of my MBA professors was rethink to outthink. And so I would be, depending on the industry, be looking at, okay, where are potential candidates? How might I talk to them? What are they listening to? What are they watching on Facebook? What are, are, are some of the things out there? And then the other thing that I think, especially in the workplace, is there's nothing better than happy employees to go out there. So, okay, employees, um, we really need to grow. We're looking for these types of people. Do you have any ideas for us? I am always get so I know this sounds I'm a nerd okay let's just acknowledge that but we do <laughs> you're in good company yeah, right <laughs> every every year we do one or two survey monkeys amongst it goes out to everybody in my our law firm and there's always a couple questions where you're like so do you have any ideas on what we could do about this or about that and there are always just one or two nuggets that you're like oh my gosh the blinding flash of the obvious how could we have not done that and I think it, again it goes back to kind of the theme for this whole podcast is you know communication asking questions and listening to the responses is just so important to the foundation of any of these programs it makes a difference people want to know that you're listening to them they want to know that you care and they want they want that communication um, they enjoy that it makes them feel valuable you know and I, and I also think sometimes I've seen uh, stories you know Harvard Business Review to Forbes to fortune you know um, putting various incentive programs together for employees so if hey you refer somebody that really works out and they're still here in six months you get the bonus you know people like that and the other thing too is is if you have a culture where people care they're not going to tell anybody that isn't going to meet your goals and needs because they don't want it to reflect poorly on them. You know, they're worried about protecting their own self. Last question before we wrap up. Can you address um, the issue of retention as far as inclusion and diversity is concerned? I know that retention is a real sticky subject when it comes to inclusion and diversity, in part because retention isn't what it used to be. And then in part, because it doesn't matter if you hire them, if you can't keep them. Yes. I think, again, there's no silver bullet. 
but it's about having really having a good culture, having good practices in place. And I think one of the things too is making sure you go and talk to those individuals that are in those categories that you really want to make sure you retain. Are you happy? What's going well? What's not going well? What are your goals? Um, and, and I think the other thing too is on both sides, we need to have really good training for asking and, and, and the tough questions. You know, it's hard to go into somebody's office and say, are you happy here? Because the first thing is, why? Is there a problem? Am I not, you know, we all are, are is there, am I not meeting expectations? No, we really, we, we value you. You're doing a good job. We've made an investment in you. We want to make sure you're happy here. And I think the other thing too is as much as we want to retain people, we have to realize that the workforce culture has really changed. Um, it used to be that, oh my gosh, you were going to go get that job. Maybe if you had two jobs in your career, you know, but you, most people stuck with a, uh, an employer for a long time. And um, the workforce isn't that way anymore. Um, there's many people that come out of college and graduate school thinking, well, there's no way I want to work for the same employer my entire career. Even if that employers themselves, they may have an entrepreneurial bet and they have an idea right there, but that is not what they want to do for the, for the duration of their career. So I think one of it, one of the things to uh, really think about is keeping that in mind. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that um, things change. And I think it's so exciting to see so many wonderful alumni programs that organizations have to keep in touch with employees. Maybe the timing's not right right now, but maybe there will be a time in the future when this person will come back. And um, we certainly have had more than our fair share of those people returning to our organization. And I think, again, it goes back to building that culture where there's good communication and people feel respected. Kim Halfley, Director of Marketing and Recruiting at Foster Swift, Collins & Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so insightful. I'm going to just quickly recap because one of the things you said at the very beginning has stuck with me through this entire podcast, and it's when you read your mission statement to us and remembering that diversity and inclusion isn't just race. It isn't just gender. It isn't just religion. It is all of these things and sexual orientation and disabilities and so many other things that make each of us so uniquely different. And so keeping that in mind every single day as we go to our place of employment, as we meet in community groups, as we just interact with family and friends and online in our social posts where we're friending and unfriending people. Kim, the other thing I'm just going to touch on real quickly is you talked about your key takeaways. So listeners, if you are looking to make a difference, whether it's in your current diversity and inclusion program that you currently have, or if you're looking to get something started, if you're looking to start a movement where you work, Kim's tips get commitment from your leadership. It all starts from the top. Remember that there is no silver bullet. Every program needs to be unique and it needs to be geared towards you and your environment. Start small. Start with things that you know can be successful. Don't go in and do everything all at once and then keep an open mind. These are Kim's top key takeaways. So Kim, thank you so much for sharing this insight with us today. Oh, you're welcome. It was very fun. So before we go, we are collecting advice from successful women in our communities and sharing it in our special think tank forum. So Kim, number one, rapid fire questions. Is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wish you would have learned a little earlier in your career? Oh, yes. As much as hard as you work, you have to play. 
and mm. sometimes I work too much. And you know what? Um, there will always be work, but you really, really need to have that network of family and friends around you. And they are important. And do not ever underestimate how important they are to you. Awesome. So that. what advice would you offer your younger self, maybe your t- 10 years ago? Don't worry about what somebody else thinks. Ask them. You know, we did that training. I know it sounds like a joke, but we did that training at work on how to ask some questions. And it was it was just a small group. But it was so cool because sometimes, you know, um, I am an only child. So I tend to be very, you know, worry. I worry a lot. And so if somebody is acting wrong, I'd be like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? And I'd worry and I'd worry. And so now I've learned to go, hey, you seem a little stressed. Is there something I can help with? Or, or by chance, was it something I did? And they're like, oh, no, no, it's this or that. And then I'm like, oh, phew, it's not me. And I, I think since I've learned how to do that about two years ago, um, I've asked that probably a couple hundred times. And there's only two times it's been me. And so um, one, very eye-opening. I'm not nearly as important as I apparently think I am. And two, um, it just relieves the stress. And three, usually the person you ask feels relief because they got it off their mind. I love that, Kim. Okay, last question. What do you think the most important skill to hone for a woman is in today's professional setting? I think it's listening skills, and then you need to use those skills to use your voice. Awesome. I love that. Wow. Kim, Halfley, you're amazing. Kim, can you share with us and our audience the best way to connect with you if they have any additional questions or business interests? Absolutely. Best way to get a hold of me is at kimhalfley at gmail.com. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. That is all for this episode of Think Tank of Three. Connect with us and our listeners online, thinktankof3.com, where we blog weekly. Subscribe and you'll get an email alerting you to when our new podcast or blog is up. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Pick your platform of choice and find us there. Also be sure to join our private group on Facebook where we can all chat, um, give advice freely, share content that you find interesting. We love to hear from you. Just look for the group in the community section on our Facebook page. And if you liked what you heard in this podcast, please share it. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And as always, if you have questions or topics to discuss, send us a message at thinktankof3 at gmail.com. You've made it this far in your career, but is something holding you back from getting to the top? We're ditching the culture of competitiveness. We're women working together to help other women. We are Think Tank of Three. I'm Audrea, your business development coach. I'm Julie, your digital marketing strategist. And I'm Catherine, your media and public speaking expert. Three women from different backgrounds coming together to empower, support, and encourage other women professionally and personally. Let's do this together.